Um, it's going to come out of Revelation, the 11th chapter. So if you want to turn to Revelation, the 11th chapter in your Bible, get your ink pens ready. We're going to do a lot of covering some ground this morning. Um, it's not going to be a, a whole lot of verses from Scripture, but it's going to be a whole lot of gospel that goes with it. So let us open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for the Word of God in a special way that we can look to it and find instructions for our lives that we can walk daily in what you have for us to walk in, to be the child of God you want us to be. Guide us this hour. Give us the understanding we need from your word. Help us to believe what we hear and see and read. And may the Holy Spirit and the word of God dictate to our hearts exactly what you want for us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. In Revelation, the 11th chapter, I was going to try to preach quite a bit of this, but as I got to writing my notes, I'm probably only going to get a couple of verses in. I was hoping to get a little more than that. Let me read the first four, and we'll refer to them and hopefully get as much of it as we can. First one in Revelation 12 says, And there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise! Measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. And, but the court that was without the temple, leave out. Measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city they shall tread underfoot 42 months. And I was given power. I'm sorry, I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred threescore days in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks which stand before the God of all the earth. Now, I know there's a lot in that, um, and of course we read it, we read it fairly quickly, but when we get to study in God's word, we'll find there's probably more than than we're going to get to. It may even take another week to get to all of it. But in this portion of the vision, God was giving to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. He was doing that in what we would call symbolic language. It's a vision. Amen? Bonnie was telling me this morning, she slept so good until 5.30. She woke up at 5.30 because that's when my alarm goes off to wake me up. And she went back to bed and then she just started dreaming from until she gets up at 6.30. So she had an hour of dreaming. And she was dreaming. She didn't know if she's on a train, didn't know if she's on a bus, but there was a whole bunch of people in the back end of it and they were trying to hide all those people. Now, I don't know, but I think she just had too much pizza yesterday. <laughs> Well, but look what the dream did to you. All right. So when you think about visions, it's things you see and you try to make understanding out of. So I asked her on the way into church while she was telling me about it. Well, what did you learn from the dream? <coughs> Nothing. Well, it was a waste of time then. All right. But we see that when it comes to the word of God and the vision that God gave John, it was not a waste of time. He had something important for him to learn. Now we need to go back and understand the roots, if you would, of the book of Revelation. And that starts in Revelation 1. I just want to read the first three verses there just to bring us up to speed. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice, 
It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelations of this, that, and the other, and four apocalypse, and uh, uh, whatever else they want, golden streets and gates of pearls and all that other books they want to write and sell to make a lot of money on. This ain't about all that. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? I would like to have more understanding of Jesus Christ. And it's going to come by revelation. I'm not going to meet him personally in this lifetime, but I plan on being with him through eternity, so I want to know more about him. Amen. I don't want to show up and be the dumbest guy in heaven. Right? You don't want to do that, do you? No, so you need to have some understanding. What well, says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, that's John, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. How long is shortly? Hmm, well, it's a relative term. Some things that are short seem to be long, and some things that are long seem to be short. It's all relative, but it's shortly going to come to pass. And he sent and signified it. That word signify means he's doing it in a language that is symbolic. Amen? When I say somebody woke up and they was grouchy as a bear, that don't mean they turned into a big cold creature that's brown-haired and wants to rip you apart. You know what I mean when I say they're grouchy as a bear or stubborn as a mule. Amen? Uh, that's symbolic language. You understand what it means. If they're sly as a fox, you understand that, right? Well, through the book of Revelation, there's going to be some symbolic language we need to understand. Now, you don't get to make up your own term as to what a bear or a mule or a fox is. You have to go by what the Word of God says. You don't get it from Reader's Digest or National Geographic. You have to get it from the Word of God. So as we understand some of this symbolic language, the Word of God will explain it to us if we're willing to dig into it deep enough and find the truths behind it that God was teaching us. So he said he signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ of all the things that he saw. He saw them. We didn't see them. Amen? All right? Remember, it's his writing and we have to interpret. You'd say, well, that's not fair. Well, that's funny. When Daniel was in Babylonian captivity and Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he wanted it interpreted, he called in all of his wise men and all his magicians and all his greatest and none of them could answer the question he had in his dream. And they said, well, wait a minute. There is a guy named Daniel and I think he can do that for you. So they brought Daniel in. What did he do? He prayed and God not only showed him the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, but he showed him the interpretation of it. It was about corn stalks, big ones and little ones. huh? It was about cattle, big cows and little cows. The big cows ate the little cows. When's the last time you saw a cow eat another cow? No, it's a symbolic language you have to understand. And then Daniel turned around and said, now here's the interpretation of king. This is what's going to happen. There's things going to happen in your kingdom that you need to know about. So he told him all about those things. And here we have, or maybe that was Joseph, wasn't it? Well, never mind. Anyway, yeah, I get them mixed up, sorry. But anyway, you get the picture. All right, that was a, what do they call it? Rabbit trail. All right, 
Blessed is he that readeth, they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things that are written therein, for the time is at hand. Uh-oh, time's at hand, what's that mean? Time to do it. Time to measure. We got some things to measure. Well, over in chapter 11 again. He said there's going to be some things we have to measure. Here we go. All right? So uh, I want you to realize that this book was actually written in A.D. 96, according to most of the smart people that read Bible and tell us what's going on in it. But I got to tell you something. It's just as pertinent to you and I in 2023 as it was to John in A.D. 96 because it's a spiritual picture of the same things that John was interested in. Amen? For time for us is different than time for God. Time for God, don't take no time if you want to say it that way. He lives in eternity. Amen? So when I say it's time to measure some things, that should be an alarm going off for us on this side of eternity and see what God needs us to pay attention to. Amen? Let me give you another example. Let's say you got a doctor's appointment. Let's say your doctor's appointment's at 2.30 p.m. Wednesday. What time should you show up? Should you show up on Tuesday? No, doctor's not going to see you if you do that. Are you going to show up on Thursday? No, he's done gone by then. Amen. Should you show up on Wednesday? I would say so. Should you show up at 2.30 a.m.? No, he's not going to be there for a while. You should show up at 6.30 p.m.? No, he's done left again. What's important? That you're on time when you're supposed to be on time. Amen? Well, it's no different with God. God has an appointment with each of us and tells us we need to be on time when he wants to tell us what he wants from us and wants us to be in the kingdom that he's put us in to be the child of God he wants us to be. Amen? Maybe you think your problem is you got a problem with your feet. Maybe you're stumbling and falling a lot. And you go to the doctor and say, Doc, you got to do something about my feet. I, I'm stumbling. Everywhere I go, I trip and fall. And the doctor would say to him, Ah, your feet's fine. Let me look at your ears. You're going to think that guy's nuts. My ears ain't got nothing to do with that. But the doctor has more experience and more knowledge about balance than we as physical people might have and know, well, there's nothing wrong with my feet. I got my toenails trimmed and polished. I'm ready for action, right? But if you still can't walk, there's something wrong. What's it going to be? Oh, you got an inner ear problem. Amen. Those of you that's ever had an inner ear problem, you know it can cause you to stumble and trip and fall and have all kinds of problems. So you think sometimes when the doctor says you might have an ear problem because you can't stand up, you're going to say, oh, that, ain't, that can't be. Well, he's talking to you in a language that you just may not know yet. And when God talks to us through the revelation language, it may be a language you haven't heard yet because you haven't studied balance 
long enough to know that there are other things involved in it than just your feet when it comes to standing up. Amen. So we need to get it straightened out. God knows how to work that way. He knows exactly what's wrong with you spiritually. Amen? But God has helped billions of others spiritually to be on track with him just like that doctor who treated your inner ear for your balance has helped many, many other people. Therefore, his experience might be something you need to pay attention to. Well, since God has helped billions of others, maybe we need to listen to him so we get the right outcome he wants us to have. Amen. Makes sense to me. Well, here in our text in Revelation 11, John writes, There was given me a reed like unto a rod. Now, we just got to start there and understand that. What is a reed? Anybody know? A reed usually is uh, what we used to call down along the swamps or along the riverbank. Um, they was where they usually grew that I knew of. Of course, this is, I don't know what they did on the Isle of Patmos, but we used to call them pussy willow. And they had the brown fuzzy tops to them. And we'd take them and, and we'd break the tops off and they're hollow. Boy, did that get us. Never mind. I'm not going to tell you none of those stories. All right. Remember, this is a literal vision of what he saw, but it's got a spiritual application, just like a dream. If you dreamed that somebody gave you a million dollars, you couldn't wait to get out of bed the next morning and find out you're still broke. <laughs> Amen. Dreams don't always come true literally. Amen. Visions aren't always the things you think you see or what they are. But when God works in the, those situations, you'll find out God can teach us some things by using other things to mean something to us. Now, John didn't all of a sudden have a reed in his hand, literally, if you would, like a rod or like iron or whatever you want to call it. He didn't, while he was on the Isle of Patmos, while he got this dream, he didn't look at his hand and there was something in it. It's a vision. His hands were probably still empty. Amen? But God was making a point with him, showing him some things that he needed to understand. Amen? Where else is a reed used in the Bible? See, now that's how you study him out and figure out what he's talking about. Huh, does anybody know of any place? Well, there's a few places in the Bible. Amen? Uh, when the Roman soldiers wanted to crucify Christ and make fun of him, what did they do as they paraded him through the streets of Jerusalem on the way to Calvary's Hill? to nail him to a cross. Well, they made him a crown of thorns, put it on his head. The scripture says they put a reed in his hand, but before they did, they even took that reed, which reeds are pretty, uh, they're not as solid as iron, but they're pretty stout when you want to slap them now. They're pretty stiff, and they would hit him over the head with that reed, and then they put it in his hand, and that was to be a signifying thing that he said he was a king. So every king should have what they called a staff or every um, shepherd 
had carried his, you know what I'm talking about in the picture. A lot of the pictures you will see of Jesus, you know, he had the long hair and the beard and the gown or the robe or whatever. Some of them even have him with a staff in his hand. That's a long rod with a curve on the end of it. That was very helpful for watching over sheep. Um, if they fell in the water, sheep don't swim well. They sink. With all that wool on, um, they wouldn't have a chance. And they, you don't want to jump in and grab him because you may not be able to swim with a, a heavy old sheep on your shoulder full of water. So you use that hook. And you reach down, hook him, pull him out. Amen? If a wolf started to come your way, you could take that stick and pound the ground at that wolf, and he'd take note of that. He'd know you're, he's not welcome there. Now, you may not have to have a physical confrontation with the wolf, but the wolf knows there are boundaries that he should not cross at that point if he doesn't want to hurt himself. In Matthew, the 27th chapter, verse 29 and 30, the scripture says that uh, Jesus, uh, uh, that the Roman soldiers were there to make a mockery of his king, kingship. It says, and when they had plaited crown of thorns and put them on his head and a reed in his right hand, they bowed a knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him. And then they took the reed and slapped him with it across the head. Huh? I bet they didn't do that with Herod. When he walked in with his reed in his hand, they didn't spit on him, take the reed out of his hand and slap him with it. Huh? Wonder why. They knew they had crossed the line and they were going to uh, be punished for that. Amen? Because all the things that the kings used staffs for or reed, and sometimes they even called it a rod, as part of their authority status, then the soldiers took it out of his hand and beat him with it. How cruel can you be? Amen? Amen. When God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. What did he do? Well, you know the burning bush story, don't you? In Exodus. So when he went to Exodus 4 and 2, you can read in there how God used Moses. Moses was making all the excuses he had. And God said to him, The Lord said unto him, What is that in your hand? What did he say? A rod. What do you think he had in his hand? Now he was watching sheep for his father-in-law while he was on the wrong side of the hill away from, out of Egypt. And God was calling him to go back to Egypt and get the people and deliver them out. What do you have in his hand? Now, what you would call a shepherd's rod. Amen? Now we don't use those very much nowadays unless you want one in your yard to hang a planter on or some flowers. Something like that. They call them shepherd's rod. And they stick in the ground with the... Hit them with your foot, and then they stand there, and you hang flowers on them. Isn't that pretty? Well, they had a specific use when they were shepherds on a hillside out in the middle of nowhere. And God said, well, what do you got in your hand, Moses? Well, it's just a rod. You mean a shepherd's rod or whatever you want to say. He said, well, use that. Well, that don't do no good. What good's that going to do against a guy named Pharaoh and all his army? He said, well, I'll tell you what to do. Throw it down on the ground. What happened? It turned into a snake. Well, I don't know about you, but that would get my attention in a minute. Amen? And then he said, pick it up. And I, that's when I would have ran. But Moses followed God's order. He picked it up. What happened? 
it turned into the rod again. Ah, huh, what do you know about that? Well, God used that, uh, uh, if you would, offering or whatever you want to call it or visual lesson from spiritual to or physical to spiritual to get him to understand what's going on. So stop and think about it. What impact would that have had on Moses? Well, now under the same category, then what did that vision do for John in Revelation 11 and 1? What's that rod for? Well, that's a way of getting attention and doing what God wants you to do. Now, since this is God's word to you and me individually, what impact is God wanting that rod to have in your life in 2023? Amen? Well, we'll get to that and we're going to understand it because the next thing that happened, an angel stood saying, who's the angel? Well, we don't know what his name was. It doesn't give his name. Okay? And we know what angels do, don't we? Of course, I'm not going to go back into the Bible and show you every time angels spoke what they I can tell you one thing about angels. They never lie. You'll never catch an angel in a lie because they work for God and they don't have a will like you and I or a choice in the matter. When God says do it, if you want to think of it as a robot or a drone or whatever you want to think of it, they got to follow orders. They are order-following people. Now, I know there's a lot of people teach the story the devil was in heaven and he got mad at God and they had a fist fight and, and the devil lost and God kicked him out. I'm sorry that's not in the Bible that I have, but it might be in yours somewhere if you wanted to twist it to make it say that. But I believe that the angel here is nothing more, the word angel just means messenger. Messenger is what it is. I am an angel of God. I have a message to bring to you from God. Amen? And so, don't, I don't have wings and a halo, but, and I'm not perfect like them, and I might even make a mistake. So correct me if I do, but I'm a messenger for God, and that's what the, this angel did, and he stood, and when he stood, the scripture, what's that say? Now, if you was just talking to somebody, and they'd just sit beside you on the pew, you'd think, well, they just want to chat. Well, what if they stood up and got right in front of you and said, oh, they're taking a position of authority. This is not something you need to just gloss over. This is something you need to pay attention to because they are a, in a position of ready to go. So what he said when he stood and told him, you rise and measure the temple of God. Now we got to know what's going on here. He's got a rod in his hand so that he is uh, in a position of authority or God's given him an authority to do something. And what's he supposed to do? Rise, measure the temple of God. Now we've got to know about the temple of God, don't we? Amen? Okay. And what's he say in that particular verse? Not only measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. So there's three things he tells him to stand with that rod and measure. Amen? The temple of God, the altar, and them that worship in. Okay, our, uh, we are told three things to measure with this reed like unto a rod. Well, literally, 
I think of it as a rod. In olden times, it was used for measuring. Rods were. All right? Now, I got to tell you something. I know a little bit about rods when it comes to measuring. Now, we're, we've got sophisticated now. We've got GPS systems. Amen? Is there anybody in here who has never used a GPS system to find something? Well, Paul's the only one, but he's not old enough yet. But, nonetheless, all of us pretty much have used them. Or a tape measure, or something to rule something out. In olden times, they used rods. You know how long a rod is? Well, I'm a farm boy. A rod, when you drive home tonight and drive past a farm, a rod is the distance between the two fence posts in a fence if it's built properly. You had a professional build your fence for you, he will measure out how often you drive a rod in the ground to build your fence. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? Okay, there's some other farmers in here besides me. Good. All right? So a rod actually is a standard distance, and it's not even an accurate distance, but it's about 16 and a half feet. Did you know that? Isn't that something? I'll have to get Debbie to Google all that. She's a Google freak. They can find all that out. I think she'll tell you the truth if you want to know that. Amen? So 16 and a half feet, and if you buy land, how do you buy it? Do you buy it by the rod? No. What do you buy it by? The acre. Because acre is square footage. And you want to buy square footage, not just linear feet, right? So if you're going to build a house, you just don't build one wall. You got to build the whole square of the house, right? All right, here we go. How many, how many square rods are there in an acre? How many of you farmers know that? You buy an acre of ground, you know what you get? 160 square rods. But remember, they're not exact 16 and a half feet. That's just kind of the standard for it. So an acre of ground is really not an exact figure, unless you've got to pay taxes on it. Then the, then the treasurer of your county will tell you exactly how much you owe. Amen? All right. Let me tell you a story, a funny story about this. I went to a church one time, and it was in Sharonville, Ohio. Not very far, just the other side, Westchester. And while we were in that church, that's, that particular church bought a piece of ground. Amen? It was on Creek Road. And that piece of ground, we bought it, paid for it, and ready to move forward, we had a whole fleet of buses that we were picking up children from all over Cincinnati. Sometimes we could get as high as 900 on Sunday morning of children. And it had a tremendous turnover because the 900 we'd have on this Sunday would not be the 900 we had on the next Sunday. So we constantly, as a church bus ministry would go out and try to win more kids because we knew some of the other kids would get bored or tired or move or whatever and they didn't want to come back or they went to another church because they was giving away something on their bus ministry that we weren't amen if we were given candy canes they'd give poinsettias so whichever you wanted that's the bus you got on whatever all right so we had this fleet of buses 
And where are we going to teach these children? So we bought the property and we built what we called a multi-purpose building on it. Had a kitchen in it, had plenty of rooms, bathrooms. It was everything we needed to teach those children about Jesus. Well, we'd take them there and we got so big and the buses needed to be maintained and serviced, right? So we built a bus barn on the same property. And uh, there were fellows from the church that would work during the week, put new exhausts, new brakes, or whatever the buses need, light bulbs, go over them, maintain them, change your oil, keep them ready to go for the next Sunday. And we had run those buses, and, and we didn't realize we bought the property. We thought it was ours, and we just, I guess, imaginarily figured out where the boundary was for that property. When they sold it to us, they said, well, you got all that. Come to find out a few years later, the bus barn wasn't even built on the property we bought. It was on the neighbor's property. And we thought we owned all that in the background there, so we had to get out and mow all that grass and keep it nice and clean. We didn't even own it. The boundary wasn't drawn out for us what it should be. Oh, about that stuff. Well, lo and behold, the day came when the next door neighbor wanted to do something with his property. And he had them come out and survey the property, which is pretty accurate. Not like a rod that is not so accurate. And he had found out that our barn was on his property. Guess what happened to the bus barn? It had to be torn down to make room for a subdivision that he wanted to put in because it was his property. Amen? So sometimes we find out too late that that wasn't even our property. If all you had between you and your neighbor was a fence line, what do you think you could do to get more property? Move the fence over. Huh? Huh? It happened more times than you would think about. I had a, a cousin that got shot and killed over a fence line dispute on some property in Jeffersonville, Ohio. It happens. Amen. Things like that are just what happens from time to time. So when you think about the rod and some of the things it's used for in measuring, make sure you do an accurate job of measuring. Amen. So let's take our spiritual rods and let's get ready to measure what God wants us to measure this morning. All right. First of all, he says that we need to measure the temple. All right. How many of you know how many rods the temple is, long, wide, or high? Why do I need to know that? It's all written down. Now, in the Old Testament, God told Moses when he brought the people out of Egypt and they were going across the wilderness after they crossed the Red Sea, they spent 40 years there. Now, that's a whole other story. But while they were in there, God gave Moses a direct diagnosis of how to build that tabernacle, he called it back then. It just meant temple. And he even told him exactly what tables and chairs and candles and everything to put in that temple. The Ark of the Covenant, all that was there. Told him exactly how to measure what it should be. Now it was a temporary 
situation because God had a moving in the 40 years across the wilderness from place to place to place. But finally they got to Jerusalem and they brought the temple or the tabernacle there. They didn't have to measure it to put it up. It was portable. And they had a whole group, a bunch of Levites that knew exactly how to build it. Now you could go back into Numbers in your Old Testament and read all about that, how it was supposed to be done. Well then David got to Jerusalem as the king as time marched on and he had a beautiful little house. He had the best house in Jerusalem. And he felt bad about it because God lived in a tent and David had this great big gorgeous house. Huh. So David said, you know what I ought to do? I'd like to build my God because I love him more than I love my house. I want him to have a bigger house than mine. You know, a lot of people think the biggest house is the best. Huh. Wait till you have to vacuum all of it. <laughs> Amen. You'll, you'll change your mind in a hurry. So he wanted to build a big house for God to live in. Well, can I tell you something? God's not really interested in living in a house. But to show his appreciation for their consideration, he decided he'd move into the holy of holies of it. And nobody was to come to visit him except the priest. And he had to be perfect or without sin. And he had to bring a perfect sacrifice with him or he couldn't come in unless he, God would kill him. You know that, right? Everybody knows that part, right? And so if we're going to measure the temple, do we need to measure the tabernacle? No, we don't need to. Moses has all got the blueprints all laid out. Want to measure the temple that Solomon had? No, God gave him the blueprint and all the measurements that he needed there. But that temple got destroyed by the Babylonians. And then they had to rebuild it. So God told Ezekiel how to do it. You can read that in the book of Ezekiel in chapters 40, 41, and 42. You don't even have to look it up and know what it is. It's already written down for you. It's already there, measured, and ready to get built. So here we have three different versions, if you would, of the temple that had to be built, and they were built according to God's diagram and his instructions of how to do it. So the measurements there weren't really all that important. They were already written down and documented. So what good would it do to remeasure it? Huh? Waste of time. But remember, three things are most important when we study the book of Revelation. Number one, it reveals Jesus Christ to us in a greater way. The more you read in the book of Revelation, the more the revelation will show you who Jesus Christ really is. Number two, you're going to know that there's more to this, what Jesus called his church in the book of Revelation. Amen? Because the church is what we're talking about needs to be measured. All right? And number three, the third thing you need to know about the Revelation is it tells you about Jesus, tells you about his church, and it tells you about everything that's going to come against that church. All the enemies that's going to try to drag you down he lets us know in the book of Revelation. Now they're in symbolic language and I realize a lot of people have written a lot of books about what came out of the book of Revelation but for the most part that's not really what he was saying. Those were spiritual terms. They tried to make them literal terms and they wrote books and everybody's all so glad that Jesus whooped the devil one day and kicked him out of heaven. 
Well, no, the devil never did go to heaven. And if you get there, you'll find out he's not going to get to go to heaven anytime soon. That's for sure. Amen. So remember those three things that you need to know. So the first thing we need to understand is Jesus is in charge of this temple. Okay, that he says to measure. What is that temple? Well, it's the church. Amen. Now, it's not the building. Now, we all came to the church building today, but when we all go home, it's just a building. Now, the church can be here because the church is involved in your life and my life, and as we come together, we form, if you would, the church. The church is worldwide. Did you know that? There are people today that want to go to church and want to be the church on the other side of the world. It tickles me when I talk to the the brothers from Thailand and the, the ones from India and tell me what God's doing in those parts of the country too. And it, it encourages me because it's the same God that's working in America. Now we're just hard-headed enough in America to think we don't need God. We can control climate and whatever else we want to control ourselves. We don't need God for that. But in some of these other countries, those people over there, they don't get a meal if they don't pray about it. Amen. And we get a meal and we eat half of it and throw the other half in the garbage. Not very appreciative, are we? Amen? Well, God wants us to know that he wants us to rise and measure the temple in 2023. What is the directions we need to take if we're going to measure the temple today? Well, let me look at a few scriptures. I've got a few of them wrote down here and we're going to turn to them. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, I'm going to start there. We're going to find out what this temple is. It's not a building at all. Because in uh, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, well, it says in verse 16, Know ye not that ye, you know what ye is, don't you? That's the plural form of you. In other words, all of you that are saved, who Paul's writing to, all you Christians, you are, what? The temple of God. You are God's temple. So when John is saying rise and measure it, you know what he wants you to do? Rise and measure us. Huh, how can we measure ourselves? Well, we're going to find out. He says you measure the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, what happens? Him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? Isn't that something? Did you know that you're the temple of God? Well, if you didn't know it, you need to know it right away, pretty quick. Because God's calling us today to measure it. Huh. How many of you think you measure up? Well, we'll get to that. Look over with me in the next page, in my Bible anyway. Chapter 4, verse number 20 and 21. <coughs> he says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Huh. What's that power? Oh, he just told us, because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Oh, that's our power. Verse 21 says, and what will ye? What are you going to do with it? 
Shall I come unto you with a, a rod? <coughs> Would you rather God come to you with a rod or with love? Let me get a drink here. They messed up my throat too when they did certain, when they did my colonoscopy. <coughs> they ran that rod way too long. All right. He said, would you rather that I come unto you with a rod or with love? In the spirit of meekness. How would you rather have God deal with you? Beat you with a rod? Amen. Now he does command parents in the book of Psalms, use the rod of correction. Now I know exactly what that means. Amen. And I have even used it. Amen. As a parent, there was a time that it needed to be taken care of. And we used the rod. I always called it the Board of Education. <laughs> Amen? Alright, so we know that we are the temple of God that needs to be measured. Amen? Turn over to the next page in 1 Corinthians 6. Amen? How did we get to be the temple of God? In verse 19 and 20, it says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of God, is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye are of God, and you're not your own? Didn't you know that? You're the temple of God. For ye were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Why? They're God's. They're not your own anymore. Amen. You've been bought through the precious blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary when he took away your sins and allowed the Holy Spirit to live in your life. Your temple then belongs to him. Amen. Isn't that cool? God is good to us. Read one more scripture with me. It's just another few pages over. It's in uh, Ephesians, the second chapter. We're walking right through them here. Da -da -da -da. Ephesians 2, verse 19 to 22. New Bible, pages sticking. There we go. All right, verse 19, talking about when you become God's people. Now, therefore, ye are no longer strangers and foreigners. But what? Fellow citizens. Oh, we all should be able to get along. We all should have the same things in our house. Fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. That's the church. That's where God lives. And if he's living in your heart, he's talking about you here. And you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, you know what the cornerstone was? See, back in those days, they had to have a perfect square stone before they could build a building. You know what they had to work with? Strings with a weight on the end of it. We call them plumb lines. Okay? And they would line those strings up, and they'd shoot down the one side of that rock this way, and they'd shoot down that rock the other way, and they'd measure how many rods or how far they wanted to go with it, and then they'd stop and turn the corner. If, the, if that chief cornerstone was perfect, 
when they built the other two walls, they'd come together at the back corner perfectly because the angles would come together just right. And if we shoot off of Jesus Christ and build our lives off of him, guess what? On the back side, our lives will come together. Amen? That's just the way it works. Verse 21, In whom the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom we also are built together for a habitation, for a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. That's why the Spirit lives in you if you're a child of God. Now it's biblically clear that to measure the temple in 2023, God's not talking about a building. Amen? We can do that with lasers. We can do that with GPS. We can do that with all kinds of ways of putting it together to make sure everything comes out square, straight, right, so the building comes out right. Amen? But when it comes to you and I, it's the saints of God, it's the church that God wants to measure. Amen? God wants his church to be right, and it's the saved individuals that meet here and praise God for who he is and what he's done for his church. It's God's holy people he wants to keep track of. That's who he wants us to measure. Secondly, now we don't get into a whole lot of it because the clocks are rolling. But secondly, he said to measure the altar. I'll just give you that one. I won't charge you for that one. That's Jesus Christ. Amen? The altar's Jesus. Amen? In the Old Testament, they had an altar where they'd take a sacrifice and kill it, and, and it was for your sins and your inequities. Amen? We don't have to do that no more. We don't want the blood all over the place and stinking the place up and carrying on like that. Uh, and I can't afford sheep anyway. So we just go through Jesus Christ. He takes our sins and our iniquities, and he's the one, if you would, that we go through to take care of what we need to do to be right with God. Amen? Amen. Thirdly, he says, then we need to measure those that worship therein. Now, who's that? Who else worships in this church or in this temple that we're a part of other than ourselves? Well, you can look around and see some other people. Do you know you're supposed to measure them too? I'll tell you why we don't get around to that. We're too busy trying to take care of ourselves. Just works out that way. I'm going to tell you, we're supposed to be measuring, and measuring is judgment. You say, well, you ain't supposed to judge nobody else. Well, the Bible says different, but I want you to know there's a certain kind of judge we need to do. Amen? We're not supposed to judge the person on the pew beside you whether they're saved or not. Amen? You know why? Because whether you're saved or not is whether you're walking and living and being what God has dictated to your spirit you need to be and walk and do. Do you know God requires different things of me than he would of you? Did you know that? Why, it's true. Sure it is. And he requires some different things of you. He doesn't require of me. 
Amen. And you know what? I really get close. He requires something of women he don't require of men. And vice versa. Huh. How about that stuff? But you all have to measure. And it's time we start doing some of it. Amen. I can tell you this much. If you're going to do any judging, the first place you need to look is in a mirror. Amen. Biblical measurements is to see me, myself, I, this guy, dude, the fat gray-haired one. It's for me to judge him and not to spend all my time chasing all your rabbits and telling you all the problems you've got. Amen. Any of you got problems? Y'all, do you know you have problems? Well, good. Then you don't need me to point them out to you, do you? You already know. So it's not my job to point out your problems. It's your job to measure yourself according to God's word and according to his commandments and see what he wants you to measure in your own life. Amen. Now, he's not talking about once you measured yourself years ago. You got saved years ago, man. You're set for life, right? I don't think so. There should be some growth there. He's not even talking about yesterday. But today, right now, am I the child of God? God wants me to be today. Amen? So when you're busy measuring up to God's standards for yourself, there won't be a whole lot of time to worry about anybody else. Amen? Besides, this judgment is based on what God is telling you in your personal life. And you don't know what God has said to your neighbor, what he's revealed to them. And you could be making a great big mistake to focus on all the things they're doing wrong. And they're looking back over the fence at you and say, why is he looking this way? He got more problems on his side of the fence than he knows what to do with. Amen. That's the way it works. Even though it's exactly what the devil wants you to do. Hmm. That's not what the Word of God says we need to do. Amen? If you say, I'm as good as, that won't work. You got to measure yourself. So what if you're better than them? You got a bigger house. You got a nicer car. So what? That will mean nothing. If you're not right with God, you just got a bigger house and a nicer car. And you, when you die, you're going to leave it behind and God will give you the eternity you deserve. Amen? That doesn't mean anything. What we have to do is measure up to what God requires of us. Amen? All right. Well, that's verse 1. I got about six minutes left. Well, let's go to verse 2. Amen. What's it say? Revelation 11 and 2. Let me turn back here so I don't miss quote it but the court that's without now we know what the temple is it's, a, it's the saints it's a church anybody that's not in the church the court that's without don't, lose, don't waste no time with them don't worry about it they're not going to listen to you anyway amen they didn't all listen to Jesus did they amen what did he do? He just went on preaching anyway. Amen. 
So the court that's without the temple, leave it out. If it's out, leave it out. Measure it not. You're wasting your time. But it's given to the Gentiles. Now in the first century, they had two groups of people. They had the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jews kind of absorbed, if you would, God. And if you would, they thought they were God's chosen people. And nobody else mattered. Well, that's not really true either. But because uh, uh, we learned in Sunday school that the Apostle Paul had to run in with some Gentiles. And he had to change his opinion of them. And God called him, if you would, into the ministry of the Gentiles, the New Testament tells us. But here he says, uh, just forget about that. It's left to the Gentiles. And the holy city shall be tread underfoot 40 and two months. What's the holy city? That's the church. It's going to be tread underfoot 40 and two months. How in the world? What is all that all about? Amen. We need to understand what's going on here. We need to find out what's the deal. Amen. Well, first of all, I want you to know again, God's measurements only imply to me first. Amen. And besides, that's all I can handle is due. Amen. I'll let everyone else work on them own, their own selves. Now, if they ask me for advice, I'll give it to them. If they want my advice, then I'm not going to shove it down their throats because they'll turn and rend me just like a, a pig that you throw pearls to. She ain't, that pig's not a bit interested in your pearls and she's going to turn and come after you. Amen? She don't like that. So this goes on here to talk about this holy city being tread underfoot 40 and two months. You got your ink pens out and your paper? 42 months. Now in our calendar... We have April, June, and November. April has 30 days and the rest has whatever. Some of them have 28 days, some 29, some have 31. The Jewish calendar wasn't that way. They all had 30 days. So what's 42 months times 30 days? Anybody know? Huh. How many days is that? Read the next verse. And they had power over the two witnesses and they prophesied a thousand, two hundred, and threescore days. So if you take 42 months, multiply it times 30, what do you think it is? 1260. Isn't that something? The Bible is consistent. There are other places in the Old Testament. He talks about it's going to be a prophecy of 42 months. Or he talks about it's going to be 1,260 days. I could go back and pull all them up for you and, and you can do that on your own. You know how long that is in years? Divide 1,260 days by 12. Do, 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 do. It's three and a half years. You ever had the term three and a half years? Same, same period of time. You know what that tells me? God's not interested in your time or my time. He's interested in his time. Amen? So time is different no matter who you're looking at. You probably heard it called three and a half years, or you probably heard it called time, times, and half a time. Again, three and a half times. 
or three and a half years. Those are spiritual terms that God used to tell us we all are on borrowed time. Amen? How many of you know the exact date, month, day, and year you got saved? So what? You tell you what, your time started that day even if you don't remember it. You're 42 months, you're three and a half years, you're 1,260 days, what a, that's when it started. Now, what'd you do with them? Oh, it's a long time for me to remember. I can't even remember last week, let alone that. Amen. So when did you get saved? God knows, because he wrote your name down in a Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. And you have a appointed time in your life. Now, don't hold it to a literal three and a half years. For myself, I'm pushing really close to 47 years that I've been a Christian. How about that stuff? Amen? That'll get me a bit closer to Jesus in eternity than it will you if you just get saved the day before he comes in. Amen? We're all going to be the same. Amen? I don't care what they say about streets of gold. I ain't even worried about that. When I get to heaven... They can put me on the gravel street. I won't care. Don't make a bit of difference to me. I ain't going nowhere anyway. I get to heaven, I'm going to sit down and enjoy it. Amen. I don't care what kind of streets they got. Besides, I'm a spirit there. I'm not a physical body. I'm going to leave my sore feet behind when God calls me into eternity. How oh, about that stuff? My old sore feet's going to be six feet under the dirt. Amen. Leave them bare. I won't need them. I'm going to heaven. I'll probably just bounce from cloud to cloud. I don't need no golden streets. Amen. I don't even need a mansion. No, I don't need a mansion. No, I'm going to come visit yours. Amen. Amen. I'm, it's just to say what God does, He does on His own time. But He requires you to use the time He gives you to honor Him. Amen. To glorify Him. And the only way you can do that is to measure up to what His Word tells you you need to be in the time He gives you to measure up and do what He wants you to do. John had to do it. Amen. Well, trust me. If you're totally measured up today, tomorrow is another measuring day. When your feet hit the floor in the morning, God's going to be talking to you about where you should be, what you should do. You're going to be behind in measuring up if you stay in and hit the snooze button another 10 minutes. God needs you to be on your feet, working for Him, and doing what He wants for you to do in His time. We need to measure his time, not our time. Amen? Uh, we'll continue maybe another time. I'd like to, I would have liked to have gotten to the two witnesses. Maybe I'll, I'll pick up two witnesses next week. How many of you know who the two witnesses are? Can you prove it by the Bible? Alright, we're going to do that next week. Trusting that the Lord will be with us that time. Until then, amen, just remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.